Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, where everything is at least a little bit queer. I'm your Stressed With Finals host, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are they and them. It is a right absolute pleasure to be coming at you live on CJSR 88.5 FM, which is of course located in Amiskwichiwa Skygen on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. If you've been a long-time listener, you might remember having heard about Chubby Femme Thrift back in a December episode of Gaywire, and it is the founder of said Chubby Femme Thrift, London Blackwood, that I will be speaking with later on in this episode. If you can hear some little scritching of toes in the background, I do apologize as it is almost 11 p.m. at night, which means that my golden retriever needs to do his many laps around the house. But before we get into all of the show, I would of course like to give y'all some reminders. The first of which is the community fridge outside of the Earth's General Store on White Ave. They are always accepting fresh vegan donations, and the fridge is accessible to everyone and anyone who needs it, so stop on by. The Chew Project is a fantastic organization here in so-called Edmonton that provides free services to 2S LGBTQ youth and emerging adults in need. Their services include, but aren't limited, to assistance with transportation, food, shelter, and internet access. This is an incredible resource and is currently in a partnership with Brightline for a crowdfunding campaign. To donate, head on over to uabgive.ca slash chewoutpost. And finally, this is a reminder to donate to Q Lawrence's fund to get a new wheelchair if you have not done that already. The wheelchair that Q currently has is barely holding itself together. And so if you would like to donate, please head on over to their Instagram at Q, just the letter, and hit the link in bio. Here is a quick clip of Q from our interview. By the way, you can listen to all previous spoken word episodes of Gaywire on your favorite podcasting platform by searching for Gaywire CJSR. But here's Q Lawrence speaking about medically assisted dying in Canada, otherwise known as MAID taken on uh, the role of galvanizing queer and trans people on this issue, um, at least in my own, as far as my own reach can do that, <laughs> which is not extensive, but it's a start. Um, but just this March, um, a bill went through, Bill C-7, to expand um, medical assistance in dying across Canada. We already have or had legalized assistance in dying um, through Bill C-14, 
um, which I think comes from 2016, um, which allowed people to apply for medical assistance in death or made um, if their death was considered reasonably foreseeable. So it didn't mean that they had to be terminally ill, but if someone had, you know, if they had cancer and they weren't terminally ill, but they were in their 80s or their 90s, um, and you could kind of be like, yeah, this person might live another, if they survive the cancer, they might live another 10, maybe 20 years, right? Um, then they could apply and potentially qualify for MAID. Um, now, that safeguard of their death having to be reasonably foreseeable has been removed. Um, the qualification for accessing MAID currently is, um, I mean, there are a number of them, but one of them that was changed through C7 is that um, someone is um, experiencing intolerable suffering um, as caused by a medical diagnosis. Um, currently, the sole factor cannot be a mental illness. That's, I think that's set to change still in 2023, where an underlying, the underlying medical factor can be a mental illness and nothing else. Um, so I've been, I've been organizing personally around this for not very long. I haven't waded into these politics because they're very um, personally painful and, um, I mean, triggering. Um, a lot of disabled people in particular have trauma around being offered made, even though that was not legal under C-14. Um, and I'm not an exception to that. Um, but back in March, my friend Gabrielle Peters, who's a core organizer around this, along with Catherine Frizee and Trudeau Lemons, I'll drop a bunch of other names I think people should go look up while I'm talking. Um, but these people or Gabrielle rather, um, was joining up with Catherine Frizee, who's out in Nova Scotia, Brunswick, and I can never remember which one. Um, and they organized what we ended up calling the disability filibuster because that was Catherine's original idea. It was a, a filibuster um, to mainly to bring attention that a lot of disabled voices were not being centered in the conversation around made expansion. Um, it ended up not being quite what one would define as a filibuster, and I can't give a succinct definition, so um, apologies, but not uh, a traditional filibuster, but we did quite a lengthy Zoom call and series of things <laughs> that I can expand on. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, Gabrielle, or I call her G. And Catherine organized this against C7, and it ended up being disabled people from across Canada and internationally um, tuning in for like art. And Trudeau Lemons gave a fantastic like uh, legal pre like presentation is the word um, on on C7 and 
and its um, potential ramifications for disabled people not actually wanting to access MAID, but potentially being coerced into it, or for like intellectually disabled people um, not being given full information. Um, we explored a lot during the filibuster. Um, it's all archived at, or not all of it, but most of it is archived at disabilityfilibuster.ca or org. If you look up the Disability Filibuster website on Google, it'll do the thing. But yeah, there's like book readings. Um, I hosted just by nature of uh, most people being in bed and whatnot and me wanting to get some queer crip voices on the on the stream uh, for sure. Um, I hosted a, a few late night <laughs> filibuster is what we ended up jokingly calling it. Um, where, you know, queer crips just talked about being in poverty, being queer, our concerns with made. There were a lot of jokes. This dark humor is necessary. But this thing was organized in a weekend and was radically accessible um, or tried to be. Uh, we organized on what's called or what we refer to as Crip Time. There's a really good essay by that name. Um, can't remember the author, but it's a really good essay and it expands on queer time. Um, but crypt time just being, you know, as our bodies and minds allow. <laughs> um, but it did come together in a weekend. Um, and then we were subject to like a number of Zoom bombings on the Monday that we launched, um, targeted by like right wing white supremacists. And we got it back up, I think by Wednesday. Um, and I'm basing that thought off of uh, <laughs> medical appointments. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was like really pulled together last minute because that was like the week of some of the decision-making, um, around this finalization of made. Um, and we were like, okay, this is one last push. So that's when I got involved in like this fight against made was my original point. I'm a little bit rambling here and I hope people can follow. Um, when they listen. Yeah, that's when I originally got involved in fighting made. I do really want to emphasize that people like Gabrielle, um, Catherine, um, Trudeau Lemons, um, the entirety of the People First organization in, that um, organizes around deinstitutionalization of disabled people, especially intellectually disabled people, is really important to mention because intellectually disabled voices very get very rarely get centered in a lot of disability organizing, even that of disability justice. Um, and like that's a really big place that needs to be changed. And yeah, they've been really involved in fighting eugenics is what made this made expansion is um, in Canada for a long time. Yeah, um, would you mind elaborating on some of the problems and flaws with the expansion? Totally. So for people who previously qualified under MADE, um, who, um, whose deaths are considered reasonably foreseeable, they no longer have a wait period between um, like being told that they have been approved for MADE um, 
and accessing it. Uh, a doctor can, like if you get your, your second physician um, to sign off on your request, um, you can access me the same day. And that was something that was really pushed for by the groups that were lobbying for this expansion, which include disabled people, um, and really fought by those of us um, who are very against it. And the reasoning on, on the pro-made <laughs> um, side of things is that waiting for someone whose death is reasonably foreseeable often you are thinking of terminally ill people, having any wait period um, extends suffering, but it's a safeguard and it's a safeguard for a reason because without that safeguard, it, it's another step towards potential coercion that we already see. Um, it means that you can access MAID way before you can ever get proper social supports. Um, a lot of disabled people live in poverty. The majority of disabled people live in poverty. Um, it takes way longer to access housing support um, or get a wheelchair than it takes to access MAID. And even um, for people who are who now qualify for MAID, who's death is not reasonably foreseeable but they they are suffering intolerably uh to use the language of, of the bill it's only a 90-day wait and that's still i mean housing supports can take years if not decades for a lot of us especially when you need accessible housing or you need home health care before you can be discharged from a rehab facility and if you don't have those things set up, you're sent to a long-term care home, which are understood by disabled people um, organizing around abolition as a carceral system that is not unlike prison. Um, the conditions of many long-term care homes, again, most uh, are abhorrent. Um, they don't take care of people. Um, a lot of times you can't have partners either within the long-term care home, like two residents cannot be together, um, or you can't have visitors, um, including like your own spouses on occasion, especially during COVID. So yeah, this is a safeguard. The, the wait period is a safeguard that is now removed and made continues to be accessed by people who are very clear that they don't want to be dying. They just have no other choice at this point. Um, that's, you know, that's suicidal ideation that a lot of mentally ill people who are like largely, many of us are, um, you know, socially marginalized, oppressed. We live in an inequitable, unjust society. And that leads to suicidal ideation because sometimes genuinely you can't do anything more for yourself. And instead of offering support in this very specific case, um, there isn't even, I mean, I, I would say that like most clear support that's offered for suicidal ideation um, is inadequate and, and is like very much 
a show or a platform or, you know, something to get someone elected for something. Um, but th there isn't even a pretend to it in the case of disabled people. Um, there's no, oh, we should help these people who are experiencing suicidal ideation because their world is built against them. Um, instead, it's legally ratified that we can access medical assistance in dying. So that's, you know, the overall issue with MAID really is that um, with this expansion, uh, the government is saying that disabled people, our suicidal ideation is reasonable and shouldn't be supported in fighting. Um, so I, th I think it's like me saying it's triggering is, is quite literal, even in the original therapy definition of triggering. Um, yeah. So what's what's the goal? I mean, the goal at this point is to get it de-ratified, removed. Um, the way through to that goal is now, instead of fighting this thing coming into, into law, we have to prove that it violates the, the rights of disabled people. And there are several avenues for that. Um, you have to go through each of them before you can reach the UN. So um, I think first we are filing human rights um, violation under Canada's protection of disabled people. Um, I'm not a legal person. <laughs> Trudeau Lemons, again, I really, it's his segment is archived on the filibuster website. Um, but my understanding is that, yeah, we have to go through the Canadian protections um, of disabled people, which don't have a lot of teeth. Um, yeah, there's just not very much to the protection of disabled people in Canada. And that's the case for a lot of countries. But if it fails, we can go to the next step and continue upward until whatever point we reach the UN. Obviously, we want we wanted to fight it while it was, you know, going into law because that's a little bit simpler and faster. Um, and the concern is that like more people will and are accessing made um, for social injustice reasons rather than them actually believing they are at the end of whatever they're able to do. Um, yeah, so right now, um, I can't I can't actually talk about some of this in full right now, but there are some organizing efforts to move towards those human rights fights, that side of things, um, and get like both uh, official information and anecdotal community information on people's experiences accessing or not accessing made, but accessing other supports and the inequity that's at play right now and why this expansion should be struck down. Yeah, we're, a lot of us are putting in a lot of time again to, to do the digging that, that's required of us to get these human rights concerns heard. The UN, I mean, being the goal is both because kind of the highest you can go, I guess, in international politics um, for fixing these things. And it has the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities 
Um, so the CRPD, we already had a special rapporteur from the UN say that this expansion violates that convention, but it still went ahead. And you know, it's something we quite often see is whether or not the UN can actually be effective in certain countries due to those countries kind of, you know, having enough resources to ignore the UN and not worry about their own status. Um, thinking of, you know, most of uh, Canada, states, Europe, um, where, yeah, like international involvement isn't going to impact us in the same way that it would in um, destabilized countries. I guess the hope is that the UN does something more concrete if we do end up reaching them. Um, I think it's obvious that we don't have faith in the other levels before the UN. The, the goal is that the UN does something more concrete towards supporting and um, uh, enforcing disabled rights in Canada. Yeah, uh, going all the way to the UN, that sounds like a path that will take a rather long time and be disheartening to say the least. Yeah. So what can um, other people do to support in the meantime? Yes. So what I said at the beginning is like, I want to galvanize queer and trans people on this. And, you know, there's, there's one side of me that's like, I mean, we should all be involved in this however we can, like supporting people who are directly fighting it um showing up to any kind of in-person or online gatherings against these things like those are ways to to support on one side but like we haven't seen a lot of that from queer and trans community that don't already have an investment in disabled people um a lot of people just don't show up for disabled people um so part of me says like solidarity <laughs> like you should just be invested because disabled people and therefore queer disabled people will be impacted um but the other side knows that like sometimes that's difficult and we have to make prioritizations in our head that you know we can't necessarily justify to everyone around us so that was q lawrence again raising money for a new wheelchair at q just the letter in Instagram to donate, and Gaywire CJSR on any podcasting platform to catch the rest of that episode. Um, it's actually a two-part episode uh, titled Queer Crip 1 and 2. Thanks so much for listening, by the way. Gaywire is a lovely, lovely production of CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Next up here is a conversation between myself, Terence Adams, and London Blackwood of Chubby Femme Thrift. My name is London Blackwood, and my pronouns are Shebae. Thank you. 
And would you be able to provide sort of an elevator pitch uh, summary of what sort of things you work on and get up to? Um, sure. I recently just left my full-time gig to pursue um, my small business, Chubby Femme Thrift. Um, I also currently have a small sticker shop called Stem and Them Studios, um, but it's on strike now because of the Etsy strike. Um, and then I also actually am one of the organizers for a local or collective um, called Shades of Color. And we work with the QT BIPOC um, community. And yeah, I'm kind of just um, navigating not having a traditional job and um, kind of just, I kind of quit school, I guess. <laughs> I decided not to finish my degree to pursue um, CFT. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Cool. Um, so then I guess we'll start off with uh, Chubby Femme Thrift. Uh, what is Chubby Femme Thrift, um, first off? Sure. Um, Chubby Femme Thrift is an online um, thrift store. We cater to plus size people, um, femmes, but we do try to throw in some non-femme so such fan clothing, but um, we do focus on sizes large to 6X, even though we are finding it extremely difficult sourcing 6X um, clothing right now. Um, what else? Um, oh, we also have something we called um, Chubby Femme Originals, and my partner Spencer um, does all the art for that, and they actually design our stickers, our magnets, and our self-love clutches. Cool. Um, so why did you start Chubby Femme Thrift? Um, Chubby Femme Thrift was actually just um, like this random idea we had watching a YouTube video. Um, I think, I can't remember the name of the YouTuber, but what she did was she traveled all around the country with, she's a plus size person. And actually, I think it's they now, sorry. They are a plus size person and they will travel to a specific place or country with no suitcase and see what they can put together for plus size outfits. And they gave us information on how many stores are in that region that caters to plus size people. So um, we saw that and she went, they went to a thrift store in Boston, I think it was, I can't even remember. And they only did plus size. And I was like, oh, it would be so great if we had that here in Edmonton because like um, I had started dating my partners a few, years before that and they introduced me to thrifting um and it was really hard to thrift in my size as a plus size person and I always had breakdowns and I never wanted to go and so I was just like it wouldn't it be great if this was an option in our city and Spencer was like so let's do it and I'm like what they're like yeah let's open a store let's figure out a name let's get it done <laughs> and yeah so it was a random day in May and we just decided, yeah, we're going to do this. And, and it was the middle of pandemic and we started <laughs> Chubby Fem Thrift from just that little idea I had. Yeah. So what was it like starting a small business like in the, in the middle of a pandemic? Um, it was weird to say the least, but um, it was actually, it worked out really well for us because um, at that time, well, even now, like we don't, we 
do like contactless pickup. So that made it a little bit easier for those of us who have social anxiety and <laughs> don't like really having the face-to-face, but um, it really uh, allowed us to kind of do trial and error really quickly because we went from doing it on Instagram to our website and um, we got, we're able to get the kinks out really quickly because we were at home and focusing on it. And even though at the time I had a full-time job, um, I was still at home so I could um, help Spencer as they were doing the things over the course of the day. So um, be working from home at that point made it very easy to kind of propel it and like answers like have our phones there and work and at at the beginning we were doing drops every day so we would do like five pieces of clothing today and then tomorrow another five so it just uh it just kind of worked like yeah it just kind of worked how can people shop and what sort of things will they find um we have a website, chubbyfemthrift.com. So that is the best place to go to purchase. Um, and we we are a thrift store. So um, our prices are extremely affordable. We try to keep it as, um, as uh, accessible as we can. It's really important to us um, as people in the queer community. And um, we want to make sure that um, anyone who wants clothing can come to our site and find something that they can afford but um we try to i choose all the clothing and because we are donation based i should also actually put this in because we're donation based um that is the reason why we're able to um keep our prices so low so we have all styles coming in from the amazing people who donate to us here in in edmonton so we try we just like everyday clothes, you're going to find jeans, leggings, dresses, shirts, and it's going to be very contemporary and very modern stuff. Sometimes we do get um, a few vintage pieces in, um, but we do um, focus on modern and contemporary clothing. So then you did answer my next question, which was, where do you find the clothes? And I was going to ask about the whole question of ethical reselling, but if you have it donation-based, then that's sort of uh, definitely takes care of that side of things. Yeah, we do. I did want to mention with that is we did initially when we started, we, um, assumed that we were going to be a reseller because like we had the time and to go out and thrift and so forth. So when we did start, um, we did actually start as a reseller, but it was actually by accident that we became donation based. Um, I actually asked some of my friends that when I was starting who were plus size, if they had any, if they're doing any closet cleanouts to throw them my way instead of going to Value Village. And then slowly my customer, our customers started reaching out. And before I knew, we knew it, I think it was two months before we were like completely donation based. So we've been really blessed in that aspect. Yeah, that's amazing. Um how, how has it felt to, to sort of do this uh, labor of love community based business and, and create this this in in your city? Uh, honestly, it's the best thing. Um, I honest, I come from like, I guess you would call it the corporate world. And like I um, as much as I enjoy doing my job, it was just that. And every day that I get to do 
Chubby Femme full time. I'm just so blessed. There's so many amazing people. I have made such good friendships as a result. Um, and it's important to get out there that um, we're here and we deserve to have fashionable and fun, affordable clothing. And so every day that I get to do this and be it, like, it, it just makes me feel so good. That's amazing. Um, and you also mentioned that you do some stickers, but that the stickers are currently on strike because of the Etsy strike. Would you mind uh, commenting on that a bit? And let me stop you for just a moment there to give some context. The Etsy strike was proposed by Etsy seller Christy Cassidy back in February in protest to the announcement that Etsy was going to raise seller fees by 30%, or up to 30%. This hike comes after the small businesses made Etsy a fortune in profits during the early pandemic. Etsy officials say that these increased fees will benefit the sellers, but those who run businesses through Etsy disagree, saying that the increased fees make profit from Etsy unsustainable. To participate in striking, sellers have placed their businesses into vacation mode. There are also talks of potential unionization for sellers. Okay, I think that's enough context for you, and let's return to talking with London Blackwood on Gaywire CJSR 88.5 FM. Um, I, I, I started STEM and Them Studios because, like, I just personally got into art, and um, I wanted something... Um, obviously you can tell on our Instagram that we are a queer couple uh, and um, we we do a lot of queer but we try we want to cater to everybody on Chubby Femme so I wanted a outlet to be able to like put out my very queer and very black <laughs> kind of art out there um, for the Etsy strike I I am participating because I believe in what the organizers are trying to do and I think that it is important to stand up to the corporate conglomerate is that how you say it anyways um to let them know as much like the sellers on etsy are the heart and soul of their business and it's important to keep how like this it needs to continue to be affordable for them to be able to continue to have a platform so announcing that they received our record profits and then increasing just it just seems like greed and um I feel blessed that I am in a position that I can participate and I think that what the Etsy um is doing is not right and I am hoping that they listen to the um sellers who make their platform what it is the stickers uh art style uh, content why do you choose it okay for that like honestly I just um I got into procreate recently um and I have just been messing around with different things and um lots of like I love my stud and I love my butch kind of thing and um we have some like one of my stickers one of my favorites is that black um, black people deserve therapy. Um, and I created that just because I was going through a really hard time. And um, it's really hard, it's even here in Canada, to access the um, mental health resources that we need. And um, we do deserve it. And we do deserve for it to be covered by the government. Um, and so that everybody can 
be taken care of and anybody who needs help can access it. So um, yeah, I just kind of, I have the opportunity in my sticker shop to kind of just do things that are like I'm passionate about and um, I'm not doing it per se for like as an income source it's really just an opportunity for me to be able to share some of my views and um, my art um, as ba basic <laughs> as it is, sorry as basic as it is it's really nice to um, know that people care about that side of my views you know mentioned that you've done some work with uh, shades of color yeah no absolutely I don't mind I it's something I'm extremely passionate about it's um, shades of color is like I said earlier is a QT BIPOC collective and it's run by myself and uh, four other amazing people who I have been lucky to work with and um, we get to fulfill um, something that's really missing in, um, in Edmonton. And there are tons of QT BIPOC people that just need a little leg up and need a little bit of help. And the resources are really inaccessible and hard. And we have, because we've been around for a while and because we do have the funds, we are able to, and we get lots of donations from amazing um, people. We are able to provide mutual aid. And um, prior to the pandemic, we did meetups um, so that QT BIPOC can come together and um, like fellowship. And um, during the pandemic, we tried to make sure, like, especially at the beginning when isolate, when we were all isolating, and there are a lot of um, QT, like QT BIPOC people that just didn't have access to anybody. Um, they lived alone, or um, they weren't out and had no real connection to the community. So we had the opportunity to do that. And that felt really good. Um, yeah, so we right now we really are doing more um, capacity building and like um, mutual aid because we still are in the pandemic and we're not meeting up anymore right now. And so we help those who reach out to us who need help. Um, but yeah, it's a great collective ran by really amazing um, people who really care about the community. And um, I can't wait till we're able to start um, like just fellowship and getting and getting, um, being able to have more QT BIPOC people come out and just, just vibe, you know? Yeah. Um, for some listeners who may not be familiar with the term, uh, would you be able to provide a sort of definition for mutual aid? Uh, mutual aid is when um, we get resources from donations and, um, and like if we sell um, products, like we have t-shirts that we used to sell and so forth, but we give money, we get the aid and we pass it on to the community. So why, why is this work uh, so important to you and why have you become involved with it? Well, um, for me, I came out really late in life. So I was in, I had actually just turned 30 when I came out and I didn't have any community. I moved to Edmonton um, over nine years ago. I came here by myself. Um, so my circle was really just people I knew from work. And when I came out, I kind of felt isolated because like I, all my friends were cishet people who just no longer I could relate to on the same level. Um, and when I started to date my 
uh, partner, Spencer, they told me about this organization and it allowed me to like get out, like it allowed me to find people who were just like me. And um, as I continued to go and I continued to see what they stood for, I really, really liked it. And um, I asked if I could just be a part of the organizing team and it just, I love being able to provide that for other people um, because I know how important it was for me because I just like, I'm a black fat fam. Like there's, it's, <laughs> I'm pretty much in a niche, um, mar uh, niche lane and not everybody can um, relate and being able to be around a bunch of um, <laughs> QTP BIPOC people is just, it just feels really good. And I was really excited that I could also be a part of that to give others that feeling too. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, earlier the the importance of, of fellowship. Uh, do you think now that the weather is warming up that y'all will try to do a outside distanced safe sort of meetup at some point? I hope so. We are, um, we are getting back to it. Uh, like I said, we mostly have been doing um, within the later part um, mutual aid, but we are doing plans to do more outreach. My team members do do like Sunday night outreaches, I believe. And um, we are hoping that in the summer months when things get better and not too hot, we can have like an outdoor meetup um, or a barbecue or something. <laughs> we really are excited to get back into it. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, is there anything else um, about Shades of Color that you'd like to share with listeners? Um, mostly that our organization is here and um, we are excited about the work that we do. We, If you are interested in wanting to support the work that we do, you can definitely hit up our website. We have links to our Patreon. And of course, we're on Instagram. And it's, um, speaking of that, actually, I just want to quickly roll back. Um, right now, we are um, advocating for um, one of an amazing community member, Don Carter, who was recently let go from the Prize Center as their executive director. Um, so we have we did put out a statement with regards to that because we do feel that um, her firing was unethical and um, was not done in best intentions. Um, we are currently advocating with her. So I did want to actually mention that so that people are aware that if they do have any questions about that or they wanted to reach out to us or wanted to throw their support behind Darn Carter, you can reach out to us on our Instagram and we'll be more than happy to speak with you. But yeah, um, you can reach out to us if you do want to support us and um, or if you need help also, if you, if you are a part of the QT BIPOC community and you need help or you need somebody to talk to um, or you need help accessing a resource and you don't know where to go, um, we're definitely here to support. So yeah, check out our um, Instagram. That's going to be the best place for you to get connected to one of us pretty quickly. Cool. Awesome. Um, and if you'd like to say anything more about the um, unethical firing, uh, go right ahead. For 
some context, the Pride Center of Edmonton is one of the few places in the city for queer folks that actually has a physical space, but this has been mostly unavailable since the beginning of the pandemic, with limited programming and then some on Discord and Zoom for the majority of the pandemic up to now. There have also been leadership changes, many of which come with speculation around the true intentions of said leadership changes. On March 7th, 2022, the Pride Center of Edmonton released a statement regarding the firing of Don Carter, former executive director of the Pride Center of Edmonton. The statement was posted to their Instagram with the comments turned off. It starts off with a land acknowledgement, then an introduction to the interim director, then a few sentences explaining that they don't want to comment on anything personally, the leadership changes were not due to racism, and states the board's uh, commitment to decolonized practices of leadership. They say that, quote, it is the board's responsibility for the organization, and so act in, and so act to protect the most vulnerable from harm. Preserve our relationship preserve our relationships with partners and funders, and govern for fiscal integrity, end quote. They end the statement by describing the firing, making sure to include details of Don's final moments, which included free conversation plus packing up, and they say that they, quote, choose to usher in a stable era where love conquers all, end quote. This statement from the Pride Center, again from March 7th, came in response to the Shades of Color Yeg's statement. This statement, posted on Instagram on February 24th with the comments left on, speaks of the amount of executive directors that the Pride Center has had in the past 10 years and speaks to the strengths of Dawn Carter, including her community connections and values. Shades of Color says that uh, in regards to the firing, that, quote, there is no community-based accountability, no black, queer, or trans representation on the board, and no consultation with QT BIPOC communities prior to escorting Dawn out the door. An absolute last resort for any organization claiming to be welcoming and caring, end quote. Later in the statement, they outline a list of demands. The first is for the entire board to resign, an interim board comprised of people chosen by QT BIPOC collectives and community-based organizations to replace them, and for the interim board to do a complete overhaul of Pride Center practices with the help of a transformation committee comprised of community members with experience in policy change. And of course, I do invite everyone to read the statements on their own. Um, they can be found on Instagram for Shades of Color and for the Pride Center of Edmonton. And with that, we will return to the conversation with London Blackwood on CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Yeah, I mean, on it, um, I, they were pretty, we were pretty articulate and like, forthcoming with how we felt about that personally and this is my own thought i just want to put that out there i do believe that um firing a black executive director um without cause in black history month during black history month is some bullshit and um their statement from the pride center um just didn't left much to be desired 
um, <laughs> to say the least. And um, I do hope that we get some actual action um, on it and that we get some changes like the prize center has had its problems in the past and um, it's uh, it should be a pillar of the community. It should be a hub for us. And until Dawn, honestly, for me, until Dawn actually became the executive director and fun fact is I actually was one of the um, people who were like, Dawn, you need to apply for this. This will change our community. We, we need this. And to have her like her um, be let go in such a way was just heartbreaking. And I think they need to be held accountable. The board needs to uh, resign. And um, I think we need to start the Pride Center again and really advocate for the community because that's what the Pride should, Center should be is a hub for the community. And I'm hoping that we can do something to change what happened because it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, so then let's think utopia then. Um, if we had a wonderful functioning community led hub for queer and trans people in Edmonton, what would that look like? Um, for me, I want to see more access and like we need more income support in our community. We need housing support. We need um, access to transit. Like there is not enough resources being funneled into our community. But every June, every corporation throws up a rainbow sign. And we are not only here in June, we still need to eat in July. We still need to eat in August. And all of these organizations who want to throw up our flag, say they support us. How are you supporting us all year? Not just June. It, we need to, our leaders need to start coming out and like making sure that the youth who are coming up have places to go. When their families kick them out, we need to make sure that we can embrace them and we have resources that we can uh, allocate to the community. It's, it hurts me that like there are so much on how so many unhoused queer people and their, um, their income support is so difficult to get in this city. And um, there are so many roadblocks and it just feels like they're not, they don't want to help. They have the, it's like a carrot you're dangling and um, people have to jump through hoops. And it just seems so unfair that um, this is happening to us. And I, I hope that with the changes happening that we get more resources into our community. We're able to find and um, start resources for housing because housing is so important and it's so expensive and there are little regulations and it's it's just like yeah we just need to start really focusing on housing people giving them money so they can eat and doing what we need to make sure that everyone has their basic needs met and I think that would be utopia for me if everyone could have their all their needs met some guaranteed income and as you can tell, I'm very, very lovely. I think that, that that's what will allow us to move into the next stage of whatever it is. Hopefully capitalism dies, but that's either here or there for me.
Well, I mean, um, speaking of capitalism, you mentioned at the beginning that you've been navigating, you know, untraditional jobs school paths. How how's that going under late stage capitalism? Scary. <laughs> very very scary especially someone like me who like I um started working really early and for a long time believed that um like you work hard and you you buckle down bootstraps up and you work and you get the things you want and honestly as I got older and as I came out and I started like that is just not it and like um being able to like I understand that right now I do live in a capitalistic society so it is important to make money to do everything um so like but at the amount of money that I need to be happy um has changed because it's just it's about meeting my needs and then having my um family and being able to chill with my friends and like that is so much more important than back in the day where I was just like, I need to make money. I have to make money because I've got to buy things. Buying things will make me happy. And that just, it just isn't it. And so being able to really slow down, I think also with the pandemic, spending more time at home with my family made me realize how important it was to spend more time with my friends. And because like the pandemic made me realize like we really could die at any time. Like, and I don't want the, my time to be like, when I look back, all I think is I worked, I, I worked and I made lots of money. I want to think about the times I chilled in my backyard with my friends and had like the best summer day, you know, those are the things that things that are important to me. So as much as I do love my business and obviously it's important to make money with it, um, the time freedom that I get back and being able to do my organizing and being able to spend time with my friends and family, that is like the most, that's the best thing that um, no longer being in a traditional job has afforded me is being able to spend the time because you can't get that back. All right. So is there anything else on any of the many, many topics that we have touched on today that you would like to elaborate on or add anything else? Um, maybe I just kind of want to finish um, up just by like saying again, first of all, thank you for um, inviting me on. Like, it's really amazing to be able to speak with you. Um, I want to mention that Chubby Femme Thrift is um, like my passion project that turned my full-time gig. And I'm so happy and um, it allows me to spend so much more time with my family and my three loud ass wiener dogs. And I just, um, hope that as we continue to navigate what it is that things will change and um more people will be able to live their dreams because the government is taking care of everybody so yeah um and just to finish things off uh where can we just do a big long list of all of the social medias okay that is true um so my personal um my personal Instagram is chubby femme, M-M-E. And um, I'm chubby femme on TikTok. I post random thoughts and stuff on there. Um, chubby femme thrift um, is our Instagram. And we also have TikTok under that name. And we, our website is chubbyfemthrift.com. And Shades of Color, 
YUG is where you can find information on shades of color. Awesome. Thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with me today. It has been amazing. You just heard myself, Terrence Adams, speaking with London Blackwood about all sorts of wonderful and interesting and important things. If you missed it, you can always head on over to your favorite podcast streaming platform and listen to a plethora of episodes we have to offer. A buffet for your ears and your brain, and there's even some really old episodes from before we were even the hosts. Again, just search Gaywire CJSR on your favorite podcasting platform. And with that, we must bring today's episode to a close. To a close. (laughs) Thank you so very much to our guest, London Blackwood, and be sure to check out chubbyfemthrift.com. And that's just F-E-M for Fem. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichi, Wiskigan, colonially known as Edmonton. Land which has been the home and traveling ground of many, including but not limited to Blackfoot, Anishinaabe, Nakoda Sioux, Soto, Dene, Cree, and Métis people. I recognize that I am a white settler on these lands and that I benefit from the ongoing violent structure of colonialism and that my work needs to be actively anti-racist and deeply intentional to begin to honor those who have been caretakers of this land for generations. This work begins with self-assessment and unlearning, an ongoing journey. All of us at Gaywire encourage you to think critically about these structures of power we reside within, your role in and around it, and what you can do to challenge the damaging legacies and mechanisms of colonialism in your day-to-day. For some Gaywire discussions about decolonization, please check out the episode featuring Gabe Calderon. Our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz, and our original artwork is by Travis Erickson. You can follow us on social media. Our Instagram and TikTok is at GayWireCJSR, and our Facebook and Twitter is at GayWire. You can also email us at GayWire.CJSR. Or at GayWire at CJSR. Or, fuck. Never mind. Don't email us. Until next time, keep it breezy, remember that naps can be a form of protest, and that my dog, Blue, likes to bring me socks and drop them at my feet when he feels that I haven't paid attention to him for too long. He's doing that now, so I should bounce. Remember to wash your belly button and- Please stay on the line.